Welcome to another episode of Web Dev Weekly, the weekly podcast about web development. I'm Brad Garropy. And I'm Richard Gottlieber. And this week, we're going to talk about our websites, or more specifically, what we use to create them, the different tech stacks we have, where we store that data, and any other thoughts we have about them. So first things first, Brad, why did you create a website for yourself? There's tons of things out there. There's WordPress, Blogger, Ghost. Why bother making a website? Honestly, I used building a blog, uh, building a website for myself as like the best learning experience possible. I feel like that's what you do. You you learn how to make a website. So you make one for yourself and you make it a blog. And then the first thing you put on it is a post about how you made the website. And so I think just building something is the best way to learn. And that's why I made mine. But it's really changed over time. Now I do a whole lot of things, this podcast being one of those things. And I need a place to kind of share with everybody what I do, just kind of like a landing page for me. Yeah, I think that's spot on. That is why a lot of people in the development community kind of start because it's that first real project that you can do where there's a reason to do it. And it gives you something tangible to say, hey, I made this. And also I can put other stuff on it too. But you mentioned that you use it to kind of test things out and play around. And I'm curious, like I've been spending a lot of time thinking about my blog and, you know, I've built the website that hosts it currently, but I find myself often using the fact that I can play around with it and mess with it as an excuse to not actually use it for its intended purpose of being a blog. Because what better thing to do with a blog when you control everything about it than mess with it, right? Like I can change the, the style of it, change all the background stuff. Oh, let's make a new header, you know? Oh, let's go from this framework over to a different framework and see how that works. Oh, you know, I can look at like image optimization. I have yet to write a blog post. Oh no. You know, and then maybe to your point, you do end up writing a post about that tinkering and messing. If you're really dedicated to having a blog for blogging, but I know like personally, and I'd be curious to see what you think about this, but personally, I find that I use having a blog that I have crafted myself, like the entire framework behind it as an excuse to not actually blog as much because I can tinker and tinkering is kind of a mm, safer way to still be productive. And I'm doing air quotes when I say productive, but not actually produce anything of value. It's like the gift that keeps on giving, you know, like your personal website is a place where you can always keep on learning while you're fiddling with a code base. And it should be the code base that you're most comfortable with and most familiar with. My family has a term for kind of messing around in an unproductive way. We call it piddling. You know, you go out to the garage and you piddle, you sort your tools, you clean up, you do this, you do that. That's piddling. But you're right. Like just recently, I kind of gave the homepage a makeover because it didn't accurately portray, you know, what it is that I do and who I am. So a big part of, of your website is the content that you put on it. You know, before you figure out the stack that you're going to use, the, the host for it, the CMS for it, the, the language or the framework, 
you need to understand what is the purpose of this site and mostly what content will be here. A blog is, is just one form of content. You know, I also, to my website, I pull in uh, my latest YouTube videos, episodes of this podcast, um, other little things. I actually host my resume there. I just kind of use it as a place to, to pull things in. And so that's what I put on my website. And I think it's really useful to share that with others. What kind of content do you have on yours? Yeah, so right now it's mostly just text in the form of blog posts. I've been trying to force myself to not mess as much and actually create more things that are useful to me, at least as documenting, you know, different struggles I have, how I solve them, stuff like that. And it really is very basic at this point in time. And I'm kind of debating, honestly, whether I keep it or if I go to a actual blogging platform where all the tools are there so that I don't have to worry about, you know, like you have pulling in from YouTube and stuff like that. I could definitely do that, but then I'm going to spend time tinkering with that, right? Or as you said, piddling with that. And I'm at that point where I kind of want to make it easier on myself to do the actual creation of content and less time just kind of messing with my own stuff. Now, I will say, when it comes to messing, like I built a portfolio website for my wife. And I know we <laughs> we started this episode to talk about our own, you know, tech stacks, but I think this is kind of a good thing just to kind of as an aside, like using projects like that where, you know, she's a client, I guess, but it's not like a freelance project is a good way to experiment because then I can take her site and I can redo it and use it as a real world example as well and talk about that in creating content. So it's kind of that thing of why do, <laughs> I guess I'm at that point where I'm, I'm debating between do I keep my site as something I've created to piddle with or do I just focus on creating more content? Now, back to <laughs> the topic of this episode. What is my site hosted on currently? Like, what, what is the tech stack? So I actually just moved over. So it was about a week ago. It was a Sapper website. And all of the content was just in Markdown files. And I have just recently moved it over to SvelteKit, which took maybe an afternoon. The instructions for the transition from Sapper to SvelteKit are pretty sparse currently. I will say SvelteKit is not, you know, in an actual release yet. It's still in beta. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely on the cutting edge. And this is one of the trade-offs, you know, when you're out there on the cutting edge, like docs aren't always hundred percent, but the transition wasn't too bad. I will say things like build time are fantastic with SvelteKit. It used to take, I think with GitHub actions, two minutes to build my website or maybe a little more. And now it's like, maybe at the top end, 50 seconds. So it, there's nothing crazy on my website. It's just text. I've got lots of questions around, you know, Sapper and SvelteKit. So did, did SvelteKit, did you run into any other bugs? Like beyond, you know, maybe some lacking documentation just because it's not there yet. Did you actually find like true bugs or did it work as intended? It worked as intended for me. Now, I know that there are some other people who I've uh, come across on discords, like tried to help out a little bit, who are running SvelteKit 
on a Windows machine. And it seems like there are some issues with SvelteKit and Windows. I'm not sure exactly why or what. I do know that, you know, like web development, Windows is kind of a second class citizen there. I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of comeuppance for the uh, gaming always being Windows first. Who knows? But I definitely know that SvelteKit and Windows, it's a little bit of a struggle. But for me personally, everything went really smooth. Again, I'll say my blog is not fancy. Like I'm just using SvelteKit. I'm using just plain old CSS, some CSS variables in there. Um, and that's about it. And how are you doing like the markdown parsing? You know, stuff like Gatsby has a plugin ecosystem that you can throw in, you know, some some local file system sources that will automatically parse markdown for you at build time. But I assume SvelteKit probably doesn't have that and you had to do that by hand? Yeah, so the markdown parsing is all done with marked, okay. highlight.js, and gray matter. Okay, cool. So those three things combined uh, kind of give me, you know, I could take the markdown file in, grab the, the front matter off of it, use that for whatever I use it for, and then uh, highlight.js, I just use one of their built-in themes and throw it out there. And it's pretty sweet. I also, um, Jason Langsdorf has a like social media image, like title card sharing module that I use as well, that I pull in some information from the gray matter to actually create that. So every time I create a markdown post, when the site gets built, it will actually go out to Cloudinary and render out an image with the title and description of the post, which is pretty sweet because that way I don't have to worry about going and finding, you know, like some unsplash image with random coffee cup on desk with laptop with random code on the screen to put on front of all of my posts. You know, I can still get that image and it looks different than a lot of other stuff. The kind of theming matches what I have on my blog. And so I kind of like that. I don't know. It's pretty simple, pretty, pretty clean in my opinion. And it gets the job done. Yeah, that is super cool. That's one of the things that I don't do on mine and I really need to because it it entices people to really click on those images. Otherwise, you're you're going to be using the same like logo everywhere and and just at a glance visually, you won't be able to tell the subject of the thing that you're about to click on. So, it, that is definitely on my to-do list. Yeah. Now, just to speak about blogs a little bit, my wife, the portfolio website I built for her, Everything there is built in um, Sanity for like a headless CMS, right? So all the different information lives there from like the gallery of images to like the blog that she has on that website. And it is built with Gatsby. So it's more of a full featured website and portfolio and blog. And I think definitely like between the two, and I think your, your website's built on Gatsby as well, right? It is. Yep. Okay. So I won't, I won't steal too much of your thunder then, but I would say like between the two, like Gatsby is definitely much more robust in my opinion, as far as like what it can give you and the power that it like comes out of the box with, whereas Svelte, it's still so like new and fresh. It's very like, you know, sleek and Svelte and, you know, quick, but there's not a lot of like the plugin ecosystem that Gatsby has doesn't exist just yet. It's starting to get there. They're starting to add uh, different components that are built with Svelte that you can just pull into your project. But I will say you ask about bugs with SvelteKit. The SvelteKit versus Svelte and Sapper ecosystem is slightly different. And I have noticed that some of those additional projects like um, 
there's a uh, project called MD Svex, which is, you know, the Markdown interpreter for SvelteKit. It works pretty well, but there's been some other ones like um, there was a font awesome one that I tried to use and it just did not work because it had not been migrated over to work with SvelteKit because there are some breaking changes between the two. Yeah. And that's just one of the great things about Gatsby. It's such a natural pair with um, any kind of like blog or really any static site. They have a plugin to pull data into it. So I think like with that, I'll talk about my site a little bit. My site is a lot of things right now. It's it, it's a home for all of my content that I make, which podcast, YouTube, blog posts. I have my, my resume and like a hire me page on there. I explain everything I use in my tech setup. I have a uses page. And then I have a couple other like kind of cool features on the site. It's got a dark mode. It has a little notification when I'm streaming. It actually speaks to the Twitch API and like shows a notification on the site. And I even have a page on there where I thank all of my sponsors if anybody's ever like donated or something like that. So it recently went through a revamp just in looks on the main page, like I was saying. But my tech stack is Gatsby in order to source local markdown files for blog posts. Again, sources data from YouTube, Twitch, and GitHub to show off like my latest projects, videos, streams. And then I use GitHub Actions to uh, do certain things, like a lot of PR checks and things like that. But I still do all of my builds and hosting on Netlify. And I definitely use some serverless functions as well. I almost can't remember for what now, but I definitely have serverless functions. Yeah, and I will say I recently just moved. So I also use Netlify. And I recently just moved to using GitHub Actions to do all the building. And GitHub Actions are really great. And I think that they're kind of one of those like hidden gems where people are aware of them, but the power of GitHub actions is kind of like, I don't know. I feel like it's not shared very well because you can do basically anything that you want with GitHub actions. And it's awesome. You can run tests, you can do, you know, builds, you can pull in other data. Like once you submit a PR, like there's so much information that you can do. It's amazing. One thing I really want to do because I would like to move off of Netlify for building. Uh, is there a way to to uh, deploy preview branches to Netlify in a GitHub action? I know you can push your your main production, but could you do like preview deploys? Uh, I know they do that automatically on pull request, but if you have to disconnect your Netlify site from your GitHub account so that you take control of the builds, I'm not sure that that would happen anymore. So I need to experiment with that a little bit to see if if deploy previews still work if you disconnect the site from GitHub. And I'm assuming that's what you had to do, right? Like, did you did you sever that connection? And then you said, no, 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 I'm going to take that into my own hands. Yeah, so it does not do any building based on GitHub currently. And I don't think just with a quick look over their docs, I'm not seeing any way to like do the deploy to a preview. Yeah, you you can from like external from ex- like, so like the without, CLI doesn't without support having it. them do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I may be wrong though, yeah. um, so don't hold me to that. But yeah, I had to completely disconnect it from. I basically turned off building and auto deploys, and then I use the CLI to say push this already built bundle out right, there. Right, right. 
I'm basically, it's basically going back to the olden days of and FTP this to the web yeah. server. Um, I should say, we should say the, the addresses of our website. So mine is bradgarapy.com and, and we'll obviously have it linked in the show notes and Richard yours. Yeah. It's just, it's super easy. It's just gottlieber.net. It's just like it sounds, you know, <laughs> G O T T L E B E R. But, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's out there. Now we were talking earlier about like always tinkering with our sites and fairly recently, I think it was, uh, like December, 2020, couple months ago i actually took my entire site from gatsby and moved it to next.js just to see if i would like it and i learned a lot of stuff and one of the things that was you know very apparent right out of the gate in next.js is that all those nice gatsby plugins gone so i had to do all the markdown parsing myself so very much like your site you know i had to use um re i used remark instead of marked gray matter I can't remember what code highlighting solution I went with, but I had to kind of make that whole markdown parsing stack myself. And in the end, I was much less happy with what I had written versus what the Gatsby plugin gave me. And I was less happy because number one, I didn't like the, the syntax highlighting themes. Gatsby actually has this plugin where you can just import and install a VS code theme and use it for highlighting your codes. Like that was awesome. Um, and I noticed that my build times were actually very slow during markdown parsing. And, and that fell on me to fix because I wrote that code. And at the end of the day, I was like, man, Gatsby just has plugins that do things for you, especially around markdown, like specifically around markdown that I think make Gatsby like an A plus candidate for any kind of markdown blog. Now, if you're just making a static site, you can do that with anything, no problem. But specifically when it comes to a markdown blog, Gatsby is, I think, the way to go. Yeah, I th this is where I agree that Gatsby is awesome. And this comes back to like the thing that I always call like the magic, right? Gatsby is chock full of the magic that just makes things work very well and very easily. And... So I initially built my blog on Gatsby and I kind of didn't like how complicated Gatsby makes it to make an extremely simple blog, right? So your blog, you have on your site, you know, you have your blog and you have your YouTube and you have your Twitch and you have your integration, this and integration that, cause you do all the things. And for that, I think that a solution like Gatsby is outstanding. Yeah. Whereas me, it's just text. And so, you know, with Gatsby, like having to figure out their kind of like GraphQL-ish syntax to pull like in Markdown files and all that stuff, it was like, man, this is a lot of like Gatsby specific mumbo jumbo magical stuff to just get text on the screen. And I kind of like, that kind of turned me off from Gatsby. But I can definitely say if I were to start adding more integrations and stuff, the plugin ecosystem would become extremely appealing. So don't get me wrong. Like, I'm not trying to throw any shade. I'm just saying, you know, you're using like all 100 tools in the Swiss Army knife. And I'm like, man, I just want to dice up some celery here. Yeah. And I don't need all those other things. Yeah. And that's where like kind of more stripped down options come into play. You have things like Next.js, which is still a Swiss Army knife minus all the plugins. But then you can do things that are like even 
even simpler, like Eleventy, like Jekyll. Jekyll may not be simple. Running Ruby is tough, but um, you know, just things that are intended for like static site generation. And and I totally hear you. Um, when you're using all the Gatsby stuff, um, it's great, but it is a steep learning curve at first. And that was one of my favorite things when I was trying out Next.js here. I was just like ripping out every package that was like Gatsby dash whatever. And that felt amazing. Like I was just, you know, <laughs> shedding so much weight. And at the end of the day, that pull request was uh, what, like 12,000 lines of code just gone, which was awesome. Um, I actually have a blog post about the whole process and what I learned. So I will link that in the show notes. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I am curious, going back to kind of the thought process of hosting your own site versus using a larger platform, right? Like nowadays there's medium and hash node and hacker noon and, you know, trying to get like your articles published on like free code camp, for example, they publish a ton of people's stuff. What are your thoughts around that? I'd like to just kind of like pick your brain there, right? So as I'm writing more content, great. It's on my website. I am by no means an SEO wizard. Yeah. And so I, I struggle with wanting to own my content, right? Like I understand the, the downside of creating a medium page, right? Where like medium then is in charge of that and you're relying on them. This is the same thing. I think it's interesting. This conversation happens a lot in the text space, but not as much in like the video space. Yeah. And I think it's because text is a lot easier problem to solve than video. Yeah. But, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know, have your own email list and own your own content and go with that. Unless you're doing video and then just put it on YouTube because that's where video lives. Or if you're streaming, do it on Twitch. Like, you know, I, you're right. I, I'd like to just kind of like, like pick your brain on that. Like, what are your thoughts there as far as like publishing content and trying to make it as available to the most people. Yeah. Let me, let me start with like a, an even simpler decision that I had to make as a younger developer was, do I put my posts on a CMS and pull them into my website or do I write them in Markdown? At the end of the day, I found it difficult to integrate certain CMSs in preview environments the way I wanted to. And and in a way, it felt like I didn't own that content. Don't get me wrong, it still sat on my domain, but like I would have to export it from another tool if I ever wanted to do something with it. And that felt that felt icky to me, like a hoop I had to jump through. So so in talking about owning my own content, I'm so particular about it that it must be markdown files in my repository and then it's mine. Otherwise, it's not mine. Um, but you're right. Like my website gets eh, maybe 70 views a day on average, according to my analytics. And lately, you know, actually very recently, I've been thinking like, how do I get my stuff out there? Um, I recently spoke to some folks over at Hashnode and Hashnode tries to solve that problem by saying for free, you can use your own domain name. Like we're not going to charge you to set up a custom domain name. So I tried that out a little bit. I made a blog.bradgarapy.com with Hashnode content. And same thing with Dev2. One of the things you can do is cross post your content um, and it'll have a canonical link back to your website. So let's, let me explain what that means a little bit. Um, 
it means that if you publish a blog post on your website, but you also want it to live on Medium, Dev2, uh, whatever, Hacker News, any of those other websites, you can use a canonical link to tell Google and web crawlers that the real source of truth for this content is bradgarapy.com or gottlieber.net. And that keeps Google happier because Google does not like to see the same content. Reddit and Google are different, but reposts are bad on both. Yep, yep. And so one of the ways that that some websites make this really easy is that if you publish an RSS feed of your blog, you can just provide that URL to, for instance, Dev2, and Dev2 will just automatically suck in all that content and post it on your behalf, which is like really cool. And guess what? Gatsby has a plugin I can make an RSS feed out of your blog reel. So that's something that I'm going to be getting into here in the future because I want more eyes on my content and I'm not driving enough traffic to my own personal website. So this is one way to do that. Yeah, I've actually been thinking about building an RSS feed in on my website for basically the same reason. And having a plugin would be really nice because RSS is kind of weird. XML. But I do think it's hilarious. Yeah, I, I think it's hilarious, though, that like RSS is this thing that just I don't think it's ever going away. And I, I don't know, I think that there might be like a slight renaissance in it as we start to go back to things like, I don't know, do you remember Google Reader? I never used it. Oh, man, dude, I loved Google Reader. I wasted so much time at work <laughs> using Google Reader. Um, I mean, I researched useful topics uh, at my job <laughs> with that product. It was fantastic, but it like RSS feeds are fantastic because then you can choose to read something when you want to read it. You know, it's not just like this ever flowing stream of probably interesting information that like, Oh, you know, I missed that article by Brad when it went by like 30 minutes ago, but now there's more new stuff. So yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting to see how tech does this thing where like, you know, what's really popular right now, email newsletters, hmm. you know, like that's like, that's like old school tech, yeah. but it's still like a really great way to reach people. So I don't know. It's, it, I, I find that kind of stuff kind of interesting, like the trends in how technology is used. Yeah. I, I want to ask you, you know, you mentioned on, on your wife's portfolio, portfolio, you chose uh, Sanity as a CMS, but in your personal blog, you just store the markdown files locally. Um, what pushed you one way or the other? How come you chose a, a local markdown editing experience in, in yours? And does it feel any better or worse than doing it in Sanity? So the customer is why I chose one over the Perfect. other. Perfect. Yeah. On my website, I write the posts. I love Markdown, man. I use like a app called Ulysses that completely just supports Markdown. Like that's where I type everything out. It's great. So, you know, just pop that into the repo, get push, boom, new post. Uh, when it comes to her website, she is not technical and could absolutely learn Markdown, but doesn't know it. Right. So like you just make it easy. As far as hosting pictures and stuff like that, Sanity has a great studio to create different like experiences for the CMS. And so you can kind of define like the structure of the different areas of content and make that really easy for whoever's using that as well. So that's kind of the, it's just two different use cases is why I went with two completely different like solutions there. Yeah, totally agree. If you have a customer, 
use a CMS, especially a non-technical customer. But for yourself, you have a lot of choice. And when I first started, I thought writing in Contentful was just the best. And then when I tried to integrate the CMS the way I really wanted it to, it got difficult. And I'm sure every developer who has their own blog probably thought about this too. You know, writing local markdown is nice, but I should make my own CMS. That that thought has crossed my mind way too many times lately, but I've I've been able to stave off that, you know, that creeping interest. Yeah, it's I don't know, again, it's figuring out the the where you need to be from a like ease of use to nice experience and clever solution, I guess, is kind of like the figuring out where in that area you want to live with different projects is kind of the maybe the hard part. I don't know. Yeah, I, I honestly like once you get it right, that code base will feel like home to you. And I think that's what's most important. And once that code base feels good and you kind of slow down with the the piddling, that's when you actually get use out of your own website. Not until I stopped messing around with it. Did I start being like, oh, wow, I can like use this to help myself. I can make blog posts that I can reference. I made a search bar for blog posts so it was easier for me to find them. Uh, I put stuff on the website that actually helps me or that I can link people to. And that's when it became like just infinitely more useful than just a way to learn how to code. Yeah. And I think that that that's a very good call out as far as like deciding on topics to cover or content to create it's very much the approach I take is just answer your own questions. And like, I think it was, I, don't know, I think it was like probably like a month ago. I saw a tweet from West boss. Where he was like, it's always hilarious when you Google a question and it links you to your own blog yeah. post, you know, it's like, but, but that like really is the useful thing about documenting struggles that you had is you are never going to be the only person who is confused or frustrated or struggling with something. And so putting that information into the great sum of all human knowledge that is the internet, like it's useful and it could be future you. That's like, Oh man, thanks to this guy for, you know, creating this post. Oh wait, that was me. It's, you know, it's, it's it's happened one time where I was like, I forgot to do something. So I went to my own website and searched the blog post and lo and behold, there it was. I haven't gotten to the West boss point where I can Google my own name, you know, and like find the article that I need. But but for sure, my the search bar on my own site has come in handy at least once. Yeah. And uh, just as a short aside, this is something that I push for a ton at work. And I think it is something as a dev community, we are very bad at. And that is documentation. Documentation is like the, I don't know what to call it, second class, third class, fourth class citizen of the dev world often where you're just like, oh, just look at the PR I did, you know, and you'll see how to do this in the future. And it's like, man, if you just take 30 minutes to write that up instead of like just pointing people to the PR and then they have to go suss out like all the other random changes that you threw in there too, like that would be so useful. And I think that's why when a company has amazing documentation, it stands out so much. So this is again, just like another plug, write down what you do. Anything you struggle with, write down how you figured it out and share it. And people will be grateful. Even if they don't tell you, people will come across it and be so glad that somebody took the time to answer their question. 
And that, that leads me to one thing that I've been kind of wanting to implement on my website is like a, just like a like button or something. Some, something that a user can like just click and be like, that was cool. And you know, it might get abused or whatever, but Hey, you know what? That means there's a lot more love coming my way. Well, anyways, uh, fun fact. (laughs) I have no comment, (laughs) no comment, no comment. Okay. You know what destroyed the internet, Brad? The like button. button. No comment. (laughs) Okay. So Brad's just looking for a dopamine hit folks and that's it. So if you could take a moment and subscribe, maybe rate us in iTunes. That would be amazing. Is there anything else you want to talk about this week? I feel like this is a great place to wrap, Brad. It is. It is. Like, subscribe, rate, uh, join the Discord, follow us on Twitter. Handles are in the show notes, and we'll see y'all next week.